It's time for another episode of Tucson Means Business, featuring Tucson's top entrepreneurs and leaders in the business world. And now your host, Mark Bishop. And welcome once again to Tucson Means Business. Here with Mark Bishop on Business Radio X, Tucson Business Radio X. And it's a very special show today. Very close to uh, our hearts is Banner Health here in Tucson and Southern Arizona. And there's a brand new building being done right now as I talk to you. And we're going to feature what's going on with Banner Health, what this building represents. And I'm very fortunate today to have some terrific people. But let me give you a bit of a background for starters. Uh, It's the Phoenix-based Banner Alzheimer's Institute, known internationally, they're they're known as a leader in the fight against Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. It's building a multidisciplinary memory and research center that's being built in Tucson's Catalina foothills. The 10,000 square foot facility, which is set to open in the spring of 2020, will be named the Tool Family Memory Center at Banner Alzheimer's Institute in Tucson. The institute was uh, scheduled to break ground on Project Friday back in June 28th, which it did, and all is happening. Now, it'll be located at the southeast corner of North Hacienda del Sol and East River Roads, east of North Campbell Avenue. The Tool family lives in Tucson and donated $5 million to the Banner Alzheimer's Foundation to bring the Institute to Southern Arizona. And the center will provide outpatient services related to the evaluation, diagnosis, and medical management of both cognitive and non-cognitive behavior problems, according to the release that I got. We're going to learn a lot more today. Now, the center will also offer clinical trials where patients can learn about and gain access to promising investigational treatments and research. Because when you think about it, the number of people living with Alzheimer's in Arizona is expected to grow by 43% over the next seven years. You know, that's sad, isn't it? And that's from the National Alzheimer's Association. Three wonderful guests. My first guest is Michelle Fadul. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Welcome. A family and community services navigator. Interesting title. Fancy word for a social worker. Is that what it is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, uh, wonderful of you to come. You're a licensed clinical social worker with over 10 years of experience, yes? Mm-hmm. And working with families and individuals, you have a strong background in treating those with mental health concerns across a variety of clinical settings. So welcome, welcome indeed to Tucson Means Business. It's Great, lovely thank to you. have you. My next guest in the middle, it's like, uh, what's the old saying? A rose between two thorns, is it? Or or is it another (laughs) way around? Uh, I have um, uh, Dr. Alan Anderson will be the third gentleman coming on board. But this particular fellow, it goes by the name of Chad Rolfs. Yes? Correct. It's a a most unusual R-O-H-L-F-S. No, no one can spell it. No one can pronounce it. Well, there you so. go. So I'm not the only one. I'm not Robinson Crusoe, as they say. <laughs> I've got to ask you, what is it, German? It is that German. Is German. I wasn't sure there, there was something else. You're the chief development officer. I am for Banner Health Foundation and Banner Alzheimer's Foundation here in Tucson. Very responsible position. Keeps uh, me on my toes, Mark. My word. Uh, <laughs> chief development officer for Banner Health Foundation. More than 25 years of development experience, which we're going to delve into. Uh, Successfully led capital campaigns, managed and motivated employees and volunteer boards, 
and launched grateful patient philanthropic programs in four healthcare institutions. What a background, mate. So you know what you're talking about, don't you? Well, I like, I hope so. <laughs> you know, this, is, this is a big one. It's helpful. You, you can't screw this one up, mate. This, you, they'll hang you from the, well, you know right. what? Um, you're a native Iowan. I am. So we won't hold that against you, all right? Thank you. And you're a graduate of the University of Northern Iowa. Mm-hmm. All righty. So welcome to Tucson. How long have you been here now, anyway? Uh, just about a year. Oh, my God. you got 29 to go. Mm. You know, it's, <laughs> it's 30 before you're even, you know. What have I got? Seven this time, 10 before. And I've still got a long way to go as well. Hey, last but not least, the smiling fellow is Dr. Alan Anderson, MD. Hi, Doc. Hello. Nice to have you. He loves wines, he was telling me. <laughs> he loves Australian wines, too. He is the medical director of Banner Alzheimer's Institute. Welcome. Thank you. And uh, thank you for taking time out today. I know you guys are exceptionally busy, so I appreciate it. But you're a board-certified geriatric psychiatrist. Correct. Geriatric. Geriatric. Psychiatrist who has devoted much of his clinical and research career in the specific area of cognitive disorders and dementia care. Yes. All right. So, uh, man, you know, boy, the study you would have done for all of this. You've served as past president of the American Association for Geriatric Psychiatry. And in 2014, you received the Clinician of the Year Award from that organization. Is that right? That's correct. Well done. Congratulations. Thank you. Very nice indeed. You hang that up on the wall? <laughs> well, yes, I will. Yeah, yeah, you will? Okay, that's good. So you should. You know, yes. you've got to be proud of stuff like that. Now, you are a member of many professional societies, and uh, you've presented at local, regional, national, and international meetings on topics germane to Alzheimer's disease at uh, BAI Tucson. Uh, you're joining a team of professionals passionate about delivering quality care to patients with dementia and their family members. Um, When we talk about topics germane to Alzheimer's disease, share a little bit more with us what what, what that can represent. Well, it can represent a number of things that span from the more medical aspects, uh, pharmacologic treatments, medications, uh, but uh, a very important piece that, that often gets neglected is the other side of what happens with this disease and how it affects not only the patient, but their family and caregivers. And that would be more on the side of the field that uh, Michelle will lead with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's just tremendous need out there to supply not only treatments to the patient, but treatment to the family, caregivers, and education to the public, which is another big banner initiative to get out there and educate the public about this disease and the treatments available. Well, I think what I mentioned in the opening of the show, I mean, they're they're scary statistics, aren't they? 43%. Very much so. You know, the whole bit. To a layman, all right, what is dementia and how does that differ from Alzheimer's disease? Right, that's a question often asked by patients and their families. So dementia is, is what is known as a syndrome. So a syndrome is a collection of signs and symptoms how a patient might present. So the syndrome of dementia basically is loss of cognitive abilities during adult life. Dementia does not give us any reference to what might be the underlying etiology or cause for what is going on that's causing that cognitive decline. When we say Alzheimer's disease, we're now referring to a specific cause, a specific etiology. Now, there are a number of other causes of dementia. Alzheimer's is the most prominent, but there are other diseases like vascular dementia, Lewy body dementia, Parkinson's disease dementia, dementia due to medical concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, 
truly Alzheimer's leads to PAC, but here in Tucson at BAI, we will be seeing patients with the full spectrum of different dementing illnesses. So how prevalent today then is Alzheimer's after all the studies, you know, the science that's been done, the money that's gone into it? Uh, we don't seem to have been any further down the track. Well, we're making headway, okay? It was sad that so much research turned out to be negative. In other words, studies looking at treatments that might alter the course of the disease significantly. Now, that could be at the highest a cure, but at a little lower level, a disease-modifying agent. Uh, what we have are some agents that do help with symptoms, but, it, but research is starting to make, I think, some progress into looking into and, and getting some progress in the treatment that might affect the course of the disease. And, and also, importantly, some progress in areas like biomarkers. This would be some biological test, mm -hmm. a blood test, uh, an imaging study that might help us identify Alzheimer's disease. Because here's the deal with Alzheimer's. It typically starts as a disease 20 years before symptoms occur. So the uh, work on finding a biomarker is very important, as many studies in the future will focus on how we might prevent the disease by working with people when the disease may actually be at the early stages mm -hmm. in their brain before symptoms ever occur. Man, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's hidden. It's nasty. It doesn't let you know, does it? Not for a couple decades, typically. Yeah, the whole bit. Now, you've, you've just joined. You've only just, just come to do the, it's the exciting project you've got ahead of you. Oh, very exciting. And, and you're looking at getting some results, aren't you? Results, the new building, the, the right. fact that we will be in a community and, and making a difference with this disease in Tucson and southern Arizona. That's fabulous. And Michelle? Um, you're part of this whole new ball game, aren't you? That's right. It's a big challenge for you, too. Yeah. Well, you've worked in um, world-renowned inpatient treatment centers in Southern California uh, to large-scale outpatient medical centers, medical centers serving as a, a diverse population of clients. Now, from all accounts, uh, you approach your work with a strong passion, uh, a positive attitude, and a personal understanding. Where do you think that came from? Um, yeah, I think working with patients and families that particularly suffer from dementia is a passion of mine just because they, a lot of times they come in in crisis. They're sort of um, struggling with acute needs at home and being able to just offer them a little bit of information and communication strategies or setting up an assisted living or getting caregiving services or taking care of any of their non-medical needs um, gives them a little bit of hope about the future that they can actually live, um, have some quality of life while they're living with a person with dementia. So um, it really has been nice to work with people and give them something tangible that they can take home and actually implement right there. Yeah, that's a big thing. Psychological, huge. Now you bring your work to Tucson, um, where you proudly serve uh, as the Family and Community Services Navigator at Banner Alzheimer's Institute. Now, look, I can guarantee you, Michelle, I'm not the only one wanting to know what the devil a navigator is here, but what a community <laughs> services navigator is. So enlighten my <laughs> listeners, would you? <laughs> sure. So as Dr. Anderson was alluding to, there are many medical needs that come along with the diagnosis of dementia, but there are many non-medical needs, um, and those can range from, like we talked about, caregiving services, access to transportation, um, adult day health cares. In Arizona, we have something called the Arizona Long-Term Care System someone might be eligible for. Um, 
if they're if they're a veteran, they're eligible for services that way. So there's many different needs that a family has um, non-medically as well as psychologically um, adjusting to diagnosis, uh, learning more uh, about the disease and what the disease, progression of the disease is. So mm-hmm. there's many things that as the navigator um, that I can kind of help walk families through. Yeah, hey, Mark, could I add one thing? Please do, Doc. Yes, by all means. So... One of the things they don't teach us in medical school are are what we would label the social determinants of health. And studies show that medical treatments, only about 10% of the costs of medical care, a big bulk of costs go into these social aspects of care. And in many ways, uh, people and and families with suffering from Alzheimer's disease need many of these services, and these services can really be much more important in many cases mm. than the actual medical treatments. And so it's a pleasure to have Michelle oh, yeah, leading that uh, charge. Yeah, very important part of it all. Now, um, my research shows me, Chad, that you started at a very early age in fundraising because <laughs> this is all wonderful with what we're going to do to help people, but... Unless someone like you comes along and finds the money to build the darn thing, we, we haven't got anything, right? <laughs> That's a valid point, sir. <laughs> I mean, you know, just telling you like it is, right? right. <laughs> now, you began your career in fundraising at the young age of five. Yeah, you don't hear that every day. No, do you, you don't. And you no. went door to door, God love you, in your hometown, asking for donations to a residential care facility which housed his mentally challenged aunt. So it was close to your heart. I did. Ironically, I got my start in healthcare philanthropy, like you said, at the age of five. And um, lo and behold, I was their top youth fundraiser every you year were, until so. I went off to college. <laughs> uh, right through your adolescent years, you were number one, right? I was. Did, did you know from that time on that development, um, shall we say, was a part of your DNA? Absolutely. It's um, ironically, I it's just a part of my my passion for helping make the world a better place. And um, healthcare can do that, and healthcare can save lives and transform lives, mm-hmm. and particularly um, dealing with Alzheimer's. And the Banner Alzheimer's Institute is particularly close to my heart. I lost my mother to Alzheimer's disease about mm-hmm. six months ago. So well, I'm sorry to hear it. Yeah, been through this journey and. Um, you know, my family's in Iowa and mm-hmm. didn't really have access to what Banner Alzheimer's Institute right. offers. So I right. uh, would have loved to have had these services for my family. So. Well, I can relate to it. My uh, wife's mother, of course, we lost her a few years back with Alzheimer's. And I saw, you know, the progression of that. It's so it's so sad. You know, you don't know if they're there or not. You know, you just beg for a blink or something, you know, to give you that idea. Your background, basically, I mean, you've led development efforts for Iowa Health System, uh, Merita, is that right? Merita Hospital and Sanford Health Foundation. Share with us, if you would, please, Chad, um, what it was that you put together for them that was so successful? Well, I think healthcare. Uh Healthcare really is on the cusp of accomplishing great things in the world of philanthropy, um, playing a little bit of catch up from our friends in higher education who've done this much better for many, many years. But um, at these other healthcare systems, I help launch grateful patient programs and help help patients that have had their lives greatly touched by the health system, empower them to give back if they're so inclined. And oftentimes um, what most people don't know is giving back. Mm-hmm. Um, 
actually is an important part of a patient's healing process because they're so grateful for what has been done in their life. Mm -hmm. They're so grateful. And that opportunity for them to close that loop and and make a gift back to the institution, to the caregivers and honor their caregivers is an important part of their healing process for some people. Yeah. Uh, That gratitude improves their health. I can see that. And it's, it's such an important thing that most people don't often understand. You've also served in higher education development, the University of Illinois, and most recently as the Chief Development Officer for the Purdue College of Veterinary Medicine. Now, there's a bit of a switch. (laughs) Uh, This role must have been rewarding for you as you led your team to be the successful completion of the Ever True campaign. Now, this yielded, folks, listen to this, a result of $54 million raised Right. Yes, absolutely. Ever true. Come on, we've got to know about that. <laughs> well, before coming to Arizona about a year ago, I was last working at Purdue University, and the Ever True campaign was a large scale uh, capital campaign for the entire university uh, that carried a goal of two point. Uh, million dollars billion dollars I'm sorry 2.019 billion dollars for the entire university and my team was with the College of Veterinary Medicine and we had a goal of raising 40 million Um, but we did raise 54 million for uh, the health of improving the health of animals and the furry little patients we had there (laughs) Uh, it's a wonderful very rewarding campaign to be a part of well as a non-profit healthcare provider banner health is responsible and accountable to the communities that it serves right Uh, is it true chad that every dollar earned is reinvested in the -the state-of-the-art patient care technology and medical facilities to meet the healthcare needs of our communities. Because, and the reason I ask that question, there's so much negativity out there today, and there's a lot of scams, and there's a lot of bad stuff, blah, blah, blah. Banner is a wonderful organization, a big name, big brand, you know. Uh, people want to know where the money goes. Absolutely. That's, you know? and, and you I must will, get this all the I time. will tell you, I've been in this for 25 years, right. and um, this question is asked in every health system I've, I've been a part of. Um, but what most what some people don't understand is that a, a large hospital system such as Banner is a not-for-profit organization and a non-profit health system. And what that means is every every extra ounce of margin that we're able to, to, to develop is reinvested back into providing community services and uh, oftentimes um, uncompensated care. So... Banner gives away millions and millions and millions of dollars of free care in the communities. Um, and for in particular, something such as Alzheimer's, it's um, there are certain lines of a hospital that generate a profit and you're able to take that profit and reinvest it back mm-hmm. into the health system. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alzheimer's is a money loser. And because we offer what's this comprehensive care model mm-hmm. that's not only for the patient, but for the family. Um, our average initial consult for Alzheimer's disease, a, a new patient coming in, could last about a three-hour consultation. Hmm. And what Medicare will pay for is like a 45-minute 45 45-minute, right. So every year, Banner Alzheimer's Institute is losing money because of the way that the, the payer system works. Mm-hmm. So Banner, on average, is reinvesting $4.2 million into Banner Alzheimer's Institute every single year to cover those losses. So that's why philanthropy is such an important part of these programs and services Mm -hmm. um, to help offset those losses and help provide the necessary care model. Right. See, I mean, you know, that that makes a lot of sense. And it's good to hear, though. 
I don't understand though when you say that you give a lot. Banner gives a lot of free medical. Mm-hmm. Um, how can you do that then? Well, it's just the right thing to do. At the end of the day, no one's ever turned away for care. Um, We're about saving lives. And if anyone comes in to our hospital, we're going to do everything we can to save their life. And we're not going to turn them away. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really about um, doing what we can to be financially solid in other areas to make up those losses so that we're able to provide those the complimentary care. Michelle, you graduated uh, summa cum laude from California State Uni in Sacramento, uh, bachelor's in psychology, and you went on to graduate with highest honors distinction from the California State Uni with your master's in social work. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Congratulations to you. You've done well there. You are a duly licensed clinical social worker then for California and Arizona. Correct. Um, did you ever think you'd come here? I mean, had you had experience with Southern Arizona before? Was there a connection? I had never been to Tucson uh, previous to visiting here before I moved here. So uh, I was quite a, the summer is, has been quite a, quite a shock to me. So I've been here two years. Right. So I guess I have, what, another 28 years to go by your count until <laughs> I'm a full resident. <laughs> <laughs> they say that. I'm a native. You know, it's an interesting thing about Tucson, of all the people that you meet, and I'm probably one of the furthest away at 13,000-odd miles, but um, seven years for me this time, and I had lived 10 years in, in uh, Phoenix prior to that. But the point is everybody I seem to meet is from here originally who've gone away and built careers, played corporate America or whatever. They've traveled the world, but they come back. And I don't know if it's the dark, whether it's the mountains or the, the, the magnet in the mountains that brings everybody <laughs> back or what the deal is. It grows on you, Michelle. There's something about the place, you know. So there we go. What are the important legal and financial aspects, do you think, of of planning ahead for anyone's loved one because it's the it's also all the others that suffer sure so it's definitely uh, when one person gets a diagnosis definitely the family feels like they get a diagnosis as well and um, in the state of Arizona we're fairly unique because we have three different kinds of powers of attorney that need to be filled out in order to be considered complete. So um, a power of attorney document basically allows uh, the person with dementia uh, to name somebody, usually a spouse or a partner, family friend, um, to make financial and other decisions for that person when they're no longer able to. So the three different kinds of powers of attorney we have here in the state of Arizona are the health care power of attorney, the mental health care power of attorney and the financial power of attorney. Um, and the unique one there would be the um, I'm coming from California. So, like, for example, in California, we don't have something called a mental health care power of attorney. So that's something unique to Arizona mm. that a lot of people coming from other states or who are retiring here aren't aware that there is a third a type of um, document that they do need to get filled out. So um, those can be done found on the um, attorney general website and those can be all be filled out. Um, without an attorney, but if somebody's feeling like they wanted more guidance, that can also be done in the presence of an attorney. And that's also um, just to kind of walk through those documents. We do offer that as well at mm. Banner. 
That's very good. And just a question out of left field here as a matter of interest in this industry, in the health industry, because, you know, whether you're a real estate agent or a lawyer, I mean, I mean, it seems that with so many states in America, everywhere you go, it's different paperwork or you're not legal or you are legal or you've got to sit for this exam. Or the, I mean, is it tough for the health industry uh, if you do want to travel around your own country and work? As a healthcare provider, yes. Uh, for licensed clinical social workers, every single state has different requirements um, to be licensed there. And in order to work with a patient in a certain state, you do need to be licensed in that state. Hmm. So you can't just rock in and start work. You can't just roll in. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit hard. But it does differ from some other countries where, you know, a medical license, for example, you could practice anywhere in the country. But it's a separation, of course, of, of federal versus state. Right. States would lose a lot of income if suddenly they had to turn over licensing of all these professionals to the U.S. government. Oh, I see. But it does create, because the same thing is true with physicians. You have to go through a lengthy procedure to get a license to practice in another state. Well, you want to be sure you're going to be there, huh? Um, Dr. Alan Anderson, uh, tell me, what are the most effective treatments and for that matter, I guess I should ask you, are there any effective treatments right now? So, first of all, there are effective treatments. Okay. Um, there are medications that are marketed and FDA available and available through prescription that provide some benefit for a majority and hopefully a majority of patients. Now, the fact is that none of these medications work in every patient. And sometimes in patients, they work better for some patients and not so much for other patients. We don't have any way of detecting, is this patient going to respond to one of these medications? But they are available. And most of us who devote our, our lives to dementia care would want to try these medications on all of our patients that come in with a diagnosis of mm -hmm. Alzheimer's disease. Right. They're what we, you know, they, they can improve symptoms. They don't change the course of the disease. They're not going to stop the disease in its track. They're not going to slow it down significantly. Um, so we need more treatments that do those things, but we want to make sure that patients get treatments that are available. So what areas of research do you see as promising for future you know, detection and, and treatment? Sure. So, so there are a number of things. I mentioned before about biomarkers. Um, we're continuing to look at things like imaging and, and blood tests. Right. Uh, there are also tests of cerebral spinal fluid, uh, although that's a little more of invasive because you have to do a, a lumbar puncture, a spinal tap to get that material to do the test. But really hoping to have some breakthroughs where that will tell us that someone is likely going to develop the disease. And so even before symptoms, we might be able to institute treatments. And that's going to be a future research topic that once we have these better biomarkers, doing treatments earlier and earlier in the course of the disease. Because it's like if you take a heart that's been damaged significantly by several heart attacks, you're not going to get that heart back to functioning like it was before. Mm. And so when you're already at a disease state in Alzheimer's disease where much of the brain is invaded by plaques and tangles in the disease state, right. it's unlikely you're going to reverse that. So really one of the promising areas is in prevention. Um, we're, we're also, we also need to do more and more research on things like models of care. Uh, caregiver research and, and ways caregivers can improve the care they provide to their loved ones or, or if they're a professional caregiver to the to the patient they're, they're managing mm -hmm. uh, because there's sometimes not enough money put into those non I mean, everybody wants the pill to fix it right a pill to fix whatever disease but mm -hmm. in this disease much of the progress 
in, in terms of helping patients and families is what we do outside of medications. Are there enough clinicians who, uh, who have expertise in diagnosing and treating this disease, do you think? Absolutely not. Um, unfortunately, if we look at doctors in their training, many of them are not f- flocking to geriatric medicine or geriatric psychiatry or cognitive neurology. Um, you know, medical students these days graduate with such incredible debt in this country. And I, I think, sadly, sometimes that influences what career choice they make in terms of specialty. Mm-hmm. Because geriatric treatments are often governed by Medicare reimbursements, which you heard from Chad, can sometimes be much lower than, the, than what's the worth of the doctor putting the time and effort into that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, what attracted me to this position was the fact that they had such an effective philanthropy base mm-hmm. that they have the money to pay the, the people that do this work, yeah. where under straight Medicare and other insurance payments, we just would not be able to do that. It makes makes a lot of sense. In, in your opinion, why has a cure then? Well, you've sort of touched on it, but maybe not. But why do you think uh, a cure for Alzheimer's has been so elusive? Well, well again, I think it referenced back to what I mentioned. Um, trying to start something when the disease is so further along and think that you can reverse this. There's a number of treatments were put forth that would try to remove one piece of it, which is amyloid. These are immunologic techniques that would help your own immune system or, or part of an immune system that was injected into you to attack and remove plaque, for example. And there are also other ways to remove some of the other things and slow down. But Alzheimer's is also a very complex disease. It's not just about plaques. It's not just about tangles. It also, there's inflammation that plays a role, how the arterial system can get damaged to the brain, the blood supply to the brain. So there's just many, many facets of it. And approaching one of those is not likely to cure the disease. So I'm excited that research is going to look at ways of of preventing it and and Mm -hmm. early interventions, because I think that that's going to be the more major breakthroughs in the future. Well, uh, as a doctor, of course, you would read uh, the latest journal reports that are out and um, latest research findings. I mean, what's your own personal opinion on... I don't know what the terminology, the correct terminology it is, but but to do with DNA in reference to finding out exceptionally early whether you're susceptible or not to to get that particular disease. So, so to, to tell you about one aspect of that, so there is a small proportion of Alzheimer's disease where the genetics are autosomal dominant. Now, what that means is that if your parent had that gene you're going to get that gene passed on to you. You're going to develop Alzheimer's. And we're talking about less than 1% of Alzheimer's. Hmm. Um, Banner has been very involved in studying a population of patients in Columbia, South America. This is a family where when you're 40, you know that you're going to get this disease. And so there are interventions going on in treatment studies that Banner is doing to look at that population. But that's not the prevalent issue. It's less than 1%. The prevalent issue are, are patients that may have increased risk based on other genes. And more research needs to be done to uncover other genes, because it may be multiple genes that play a part. But there is a gene known as the ApoE gene that does confer increased risk if you have a certain form of that gene. Uh, it's not something we routinely recommend at this time, in part because even if you have the gene, it infers increased risk. 
you might still not get the disease. Even if you have the, the gene that says you're perhaps protected, you might get the disease. And so it, it's not a test I would advise for children to have mm. because it's here, here's my thought about that. Mm-hmm. There are many things we can attract people to do that could help give them a fighting chance. And these are like lifestyle changes. And research has shown that perhaps a third of dementia might be preventable by doing the right things in your in your life. Mm. And I'd rather tell every child of an Alzheimer's patient who asked me that question about that and not worry about whether right. they have the gene or not. Because as, as a philosopher once said, better to believe in God and be wrong than not to believe in God and be wrong. Mm-hmm. And so better to do these treatments, which do make you commit to a lifestyle change and give yourself a better fighting chance than to not do them and risk that that might lead you to having Alzheimer's disease. Tucson Means Business is proudly sponsored by the 49ers Golf and Country Club. They're at 12,000 Tancoverde Road. If you're not in Tucson, somewhere around the world, but visiting sometime you may get here, please go to the 49ers, even if you don't play golf, because there are wonderful things to do, like eat at the fabulous Rincon Grill restaurant, and then there's the fitness center, brand new, with everything that you need. Isn't that right, Casey? That's right, Mark. I'm speaking with the director of memberships and tournaments, and sales. He's just about chief cook and bottle washer, but he can tell us all about this wonderful fitness club. It's only brand new, really. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of funny you say that. We're um, really proud of the way that we keep it looking brand new, but it's already five years old, that building. Is it really? Yep. yep. But God, we, you never know that. We upkeep it. Um, you know, we keep it looking good, looking fresh, smelling good. We try to keep the equipment maintained. Mm-hmm. Um, that's important for people that are coming to a gym. They want to use clean, fresh well-working equipment. My word, they do. And uh, one of the important things, I think, with this fitness club is that it's not that you're traditional. I mean, you've got locals coming to it from right across town. There are lots of different separate type events on, aren't there, from uh, fitness type. uh, I I can't remember them all, but Hmm. the lady that runs it. Yep. Uh, does a fabulous job. Great job. In fact, there's a few few of them get together and create all these different sort of sequences. They do. They've got a, a lot of different um, group fitness classes is kind of what we, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I want to say it's kind of a niche market, really. You know, there is lots of gym offerings around, obviously. Sure. You know, you got your big box box store kind of fitness centers that are, you know, they have hundreds of pieces of equipment. They've got... Uh, uh, you know, classes that are, are scheduled and, and routine where ours are unique. Um, you get to know the instructors really well. They're your friends, you know, and then when you don't show up, care of you, yeah. they do, you know, yeah. when you don't show up to class, they, they want to, they text you and find out, Hey, you okay? how come you're not there? You know, <laughs> that's a nice idea. It is. So, so it, from yoga through to boom bunk this or that, I mean, they do it all. There is, we offer a little bit of everything. We even, you know, we have kids dance classes. We even have a woman teaching ballroom, uh, dance classes right now. Um, on Wednesday nights right now, we have goat yoga <laughs> where you have these little pygmy goats. They they dress them up in tutus and uh, they, they walk on your back. I don't get it, but apparently it's all the it's all the rage. So. Can you imagine that? Dressed up in a tutu, walking on your back. But that's a goat. <laughs> oh, it sounds like a lot of fun indeed. And, of course, the one other area is the pool. Yep. The pool, we have um, a five-lane 
junior Olympic sized heated year round pool, which it's uh, it's tough to find uh, heated water um, in Tucson in the winter, believe it or not. But uh, we we maintain it. We have a, a youth program that swims year round. Uh, we've also got aqua classes right now on Mondays. We offer them. Um, the pool's just been really a great uh, resource for the club and its members. That's fabulous. So there you go. You get a, a really good picture, don't you? But go to the website and Casey, that address again. Uh, website is 49ercc.com. It's all spelled out. F-O-R-T-Y-N-I-N-E-R-C-C.com. You did a good job, man. Hey, thanks. <laughs> Casey Polivchak, lovely fellow. Talk to him personally about anything. Memberships, the club, whatever you want to do. He's the director of memberships and tournaments at the infamous, which is the, the hidden jewel of the desert, at the 49ers Golf and Country Club. Proudly bringing us Tucson Means Business. Fascinating stuff. You're listening to Tucson Means Business. Hope you're enjoying the show today, a special on Banner Health. And uh, proudly brought to us, of course, by the 49ers Golf and Country Club and their wonderful uh, Rincon Grill, the hidden jewel of the desert. And we thank them very much indeed. Michelle, let me ask you, what is unique about the BAI model of care? Sure. So kind of like we've been talking today, Alzheimer's and related dementias are progressive chronic illnesses. Um, But our goal at Banner Alzheimer's Institute is to help um, find those individuals and families some joy in their day-to-day living and some successes. Um, So our team is um, unique in that we're made up of a variety of different professionals. Um, We have geriatric psychiatry, neurology. We also have neuropsychology. of course, social work, family and community services, and um, other members of the team, medical staff that help to support the patient and the family throughout their care. Um, So once a patient comes into our facility, they see the physician, and once they receive a clear diagnosis, they're then then referred to either our physician assistant or myself, um, known as the the FCS team, to um, provide some of that critical non-medical support that we've been talking about and linking the um, individuals and families to necessary community resources. Um, The vast majority of services the person and caregiver needs uh, through the progression of their disease are addressed throughout their time um, at BAI. So uh, a lot of times people I've heard in the community or I'll be giving a presentation, they'll, uh, we'll get somebody from the audience say, well, my my partner saw a neurologist and we're not going back for six months. What do we do in the meantime? Well, at Banner, that's not really our, our model. They see the neurologist and that's immediately followed up by um, some type of supportive services from either the physician's assistant or myself. Um, and our goal, again, is to really help them find some success and hope and joy in the day-to-day living by giving them um, <coughs> all different uh, caregiving services. That's a lot. But how can anybody uh, access caregiver support? Is it relatively easy? Or? Yeah. So um, our website, banneralz.org, has some really good information. We have um, a, a lot of classes online that offer um, individuals different topics that they can listen to uh, regarding caregiver support, um, planning ahead for the future, different topic, different psychological topics such as um, – living with loss and grief and loss. And um, we have, next year we have a, uh, four different like mini conferences coming up, some on brain health. We even have one in December where um, 
a presentation is going to be given in Spanish and in English. So it's a Hispanic conference um, that focuses on dementia. We also have different support groups. For example, I have a support group the first Wednesday of every month from 130 to 3 at Hacienda at the River in the Stable that we offer. So there's plenty of different uh, opportunities that we're trying to um, give here in the community to help those living with um dementia and their loved ones. It's amazing. You do a terrific job. And of course, gifts to Banner Health Foundation uh, enhance big time the patient experience. Uh, Chad, talk to us about charitable gifts. I mean, (laughs) for me to say, you know, how important they are is an understatement. Absolutely. So we're very thankful that we did have a lead gift from the Tool family, uh, a lead gift of $5 million from the family of the late Jim Tool to help catapult us towards bringing these vital services to Tucson. Mm -hmm. We do have a goal of raising $10 million uh, to support Banner Alzheimer's Institute here in Tucson. Mm -hmm. We're at right now we're at 8.7 million in funds and pledges raised. It's not too bad. It's within uh, sight then. It is though. (laughs) We can see the goal line. Um, We're 1.3 million away. So well, look, before you go, I'll just write a check out. Oh, wonderful. Great. (laughs) (laughs) So how can anybody, you know, who maybe hears this, uh, what should they do if they, if they feel inclined for a down good reason but like to be part of this? Absolutely. Well, gifts can be made online at bannerhealth.com. And um, anyone who wants more information can certainly contact me directly. I believe, Mark, you have my information listed on your website. But um, Sure, my, but, but but give everything you've mm-hmm. got while we can. Yeah. Yeah. My direct phone number at Banner Health Foundation is 520-694-3967. Or uh, I'm available via email at chad.rohl, F as in Fred, S as in Sam, at bannerhealth.com. Okay. And the sites uh, these days, the websites, I mean, they're the window of the mind. I mean, people can sit down in their podgies, their pajamas. They can study. They can learn a lot more, you know, in the privacy of their home. And you're putting everything up on that, aren't you, currently, and you're showing what you're doing. Why do hospital systems need charitable support, or is that a dumb question? (laughs) Uh, Well, as I I did explain a little earlier that, you know, we have some service lines of the hospital that actually do produce income, but we have others that do not. Do not. And they lose money. And a lot of the services that we're providing in the community, uh, Banner provides at at, at a loss um, with Banner Alzheimer's Institute being one of them. So it's very, very important that we have philanthropic support come alongside to help us deliver uh, the necessary services and, and meet those community needs. When uh, you mentioned earlier in the show um, that you lost your mom, um, when did, did, did the family know this early? Well, she had, uh, you know, dementias that... It's it's a very gradual, silent disease, and uh, we found out probably about six years ago, and we just started. It's a family members just start to notice that the you know with my mom, it she just wasn't quite as sharp as she used to be. My mom, I grew up in Iowa, and she ran the family. My dad was a farmer. My mom did everything for the kids, and she balanced the checkbook and ran the finances. Oh, the strong woman. Yeah, very strong woman. Very much always on top of her game and ahead of her game, Mm -hmm. and you know, ran a family of four and did everything and 
was the source of all information. And we just started to notice she just wasn't, I mean, she missed my birthday. My mom never, never, never would miss my birthday mm-hmm. and just, um, screwing up names of, of family members. Um, uh, referring to my spouse as my brother's spouse's wife's name and little things, just that, little things, little things that just were like, something's not right. And so we started our journey and started to, mm-hmm. with a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment and this disease, just, it gradually progresses. And, um, Dr. Anderson could probably tell you better. Well, doctor, um, I was going to ask you, is it the same for all? No. Um, one of my expressions, I answer patients that ask that is if you've seen one Alzheimer's patient, you've seen one Alzheimer's patient. Mm. People progress at different rates. Some people will have different symptoms as the disease progresses. And, and if I, if you would allow me, I'd like to give a, a little oh, story. Do. Yes, by all means. Stories I love really stories. Identify. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and by the way, this story is just one patient. I won't give names, obviously, but mm-hmm. th- this story is, is very characteristic of many patients that seek help. So it, it was a man in the middle stages of dementia. And he got to a point, and not all do get to this point, but he no longer recognized his wife. And he would look at her and sometimes say, who are you? Now, when you're married to someone 50 years, that's like a dagger going through your heart Mm -hmm. when they say, who are you? She had no training in this. Most spouses don't. And she answered in all the wrong ways, raising her voice, yelling at him, I'm your wife. Get that through your thick head. And using some explicatives I won't mention on the radio. Uh And um, he ended up hitting her. And it was a serious injury. And they both went to the ER. And in the ER, they loaded on some medications that were sedating and thought to be the right thing to do. His internist referred him to me. I saw him. I lowered the dose of some of these medicines. I added Alzheimer's medications because he had never been tried on those, unfortunately. That's a common story. But we also took a look at this wife, this spouse. She had depression, and her depression was significant. And her right. depression played, in a, a, unfortunately, an important role in how she responded. But she also didn't know how to respond. So we did two things with her, three things. I treated her medically with the, for medicines for the depression. We had a therapist, someone like Michelle, who offered psychotherapy for the depression. And then we had a, a dementia educator meet with her and teach her different ways of communicating. So guess what? We were able in a month to get him off that sedating antipsychotic medication. Mm-hmm. He did pretty well on the dementia medications. He even regained some ability to recognize her, and there was no longer any violence. Yeah, that's uh, heartbreaking, isn't it? Who are you? Yes. And you don't get that if all you do is have the patient themselves see a doctor and get medical treatment. If that's all he got, right. he might have had a serious problem with the side effects of that medicine. And that's not quality of life. No, no, because that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's supposed to be quality of life. And Michelle, with all your career and the things you've experienced and seen, has there been much violence? Violence? Violence. Like like, the doctor just mentioned then in that story. Well, I think like Dr. Anderson uh, mentioned, it really is case by case. I mean, one case may look like that, and then you may have another patient who's, uh, who's a care partner of somebody with dementia who's 
blissfully living with their dementia and kind of unaware for the most part, sort of on a day-to-day basis of their memory loss. So we can see anything from that all the way to the other end of the spectrum. So the range is enormous, the diversity. Uh, There is no such thing as all fits one or one fits all, you know? That's correct. Uh, Everybody's unique and different. And is there a difference too in the timeline? Sure. And so there are some earlier onset dementias. But as an example, because we just don't treat Alzheimer's disease at BAI. So there's an early onset dementia called frontotemporal dementia. And those patients are more likely to be impulsive and aggressive at times or, or in, conduct behaviors that are dangerous to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so a, if you looked at the difference, in a, a patient with Alzheimer's might have trouble driving because they forget where they're going or they forget you know, um, uh, the directions, right? Mm -hmm. A patient with frontal temporal dementia may pay no heed to how to operate that vehicle safely because of the the changes they have in their ability to perceive, think, and plan and judge. Um, And so we see some of those differences, but there are also early onset Alzheimer's cases. and then there are late onset Alzheimer's. So again, the time frame of starting a disease like Alzheimer's can range from very early, sometimes 40s or 50s, typically 65 or later. But then we have late onset cases. That it's interesting that age. age group. Yeah. What's the earliest you've ever heard of? You know, I, I, uh, earliest I've ever seen in my practice was someone in their 40s. But um, I think that there's been case reports of people earlier. By the way, one of the things that sometimes people don't know is individuals born with Down syndrome, as they age and get to older ages, develop on top of the Downs and Alzheimer's process. Mm. And, and in them, that can occur 40, 50 uh, years of age. Is there anything one might do to prevent cognitive decline? Absolutely. And as Michelle was saying, we're going to actually be doing a, a program on that, maintaining a fit brain. I've given talks of that at the AMA and, and other uh, places nationally. Um, it's all about two things. It's all about best management of your underlying medical problems and lifestyle changes. So if you have things like hypertension, diabetes, or other medical problems, those need to be managed well. Then things like diet, exercise, social engagement, keeping cognitively uh, engaged, um, sleep. We find uh, that some recent research over the last several years that people with sleep disorders like sleep apnea Mm. are at much higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. So recognizing sleep problems, getting treatment for those sleep problems is important. Mm. Uh, Engaging in physical activities, aerobic activities seem to be the best. Uh, but do things that are fun. Uh, I'm, one of the things that attracted me to Tucson is well, bicycling is a big hobby, and I, <laughs> I just look forward to getting out more and more on, on the, ah, you're the, another the loop. Bikey, huh? you know? <laughs> but but do, you got to do what you enjoy too. I, I, well, I've had thing. patients that they've never exercised in their life. You know, when they think of exercise, they lay down so the thought goes away. Oh, you're right. So <laughs> you know, are you going to change those people to exercise? But maybe they might be interested in ballroom dancing or line dancing or learning something, something that really else. engages brain and brain, body, brain and body. And provides some, you know, co- uh, some aerobic kind of activity. Yeah. Um, and then there's diet. Uh, a lot of work's been done on different diets. Probably the best that 
I utilize and refer patients to is called the MIND diet, M-I-N-D, which was developed looking at the best of the Mediterranean diet and the best of the DASH diet, which is for hypertension, and putting that together and coming up with the MIND diet. Hmm. And, and people who follow that diet tend to have less cognitive decline. That's interesting. So you're going to be featuring, I would say, this as well then. Yes. And, and I will tell you, though, that unfortunately, we don't have a lot of true major scientific studies in lifestyle changes. A lot of it is observational. Okay. But uh, the Alzheimer's Association this year started a new project called U.S. Pointer, which is a multi-domain intervention. And so we'll get what's called prospective scientific data. Mm-hmm. People will be given diets and exercise routines and, and no smoking and, and, you know, health conditions being treated well. These instructions to follow versus a treatment as usual without giving that to detect how uh, much uh, that will help. And, and studies have been done around the world. The Finnish study did a finger study, which was a multi-domain treatment entity and showed that those people in the experimental group declined slower than those that weren't. So we have some scientific evidence, yeah. but more to come from the Alzheimer's Association. And the uh, person who put together the MIND diet uh, at uh, Rush University is doing a prospective study now mm-hmm. in separating people into normal diet versus MIND diet. Right. And we'll now have more true scientific evidence, hopefully, that the benefits show a decreased cognitive decline. You know, uh, the, the more the merrier. Uh, unfortunately, we'll all be dead and gone before... It ever gets the you know the level of the wonders they're going to find out by then. You know who knows. I mean, there are there are some you know. medical issues that suddenly out of the blue, someone finds something someone finds. that's new that works. So, but, but that takes money too, doesn't it? It all takes money. Uh, to doing that, Doc. Is there any uh, URL for you other than bannerALZ.org? Is there anything else you'd like listeners to be able to go to or follow or read about? You'd like to share? So, so first of all, probably too new to know of anything else, and perhaps after I'm done, they they could answer the other two folks here. Um, but I would say no, not at this time. But but we have a tremendous team that's going to do a lot of community outreach. Right. Michelle's doing a lot of talks. We have a terrific physician's assistant, Hella Brand, who's out in the community. Um, I'm going to be out in the community giving presentations. That's good. So we're going to have a, a team effort in educating the. Tucsonians. Right. Okay, Tucsonians, yeah. Tucsonians. Tucsonians. Oh, it took, took me a while to <laughs> It's so easy to say Tucsonian, you know. So I apologize to those people. Who <laughs> so to educate the, the, yeah. the Tucsonians. So you're going to be doing what we call, what, like town hall type things? All sorts of different things. Yeah, sure. very good. Yeah. Taking it to the people. Taking it to the people. Very good. And um, all right, so Dr. Allen, that was wonderful. What about you, Michelle? Uh, it, it, what's the best way... For anyone who'd like to maybe learn how to manage, because you're in the front line, you're hands-on every day with this, you must get a million questions from the sons and the daughters. Sure. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, what's interesting about kind of managing stress and managing the diagnosis Uh, In regards to what Dr. Anderson was just talking about, a lot of ways that help prevent that cognitive decline are also ways to help relieve caregiver stress. So focusing on getting a good night's sleep, eating a balanced diet, exercising regularly, taking care of all of individual medical needs. Um, A lot of times we have to remind our care partners that um, if their health is not intact, they're not going to be around to take care of their their loved one with dementia. So that's something that we oftentimes have to remind um, 
the, the caregivers that we do see. Uh, also, we encourage or I encourage um, connecting with if there's any type of faith community, um, trying relaxation, meditation or yoga or connecting spiritually, if that's a, a call to mm-hmm. to the care partner. Um, and I think, too, it's important to just mention what you know, when you think about caregiver stress, what are some of the the signs? So if you you or your loved one a loved one that you have are experiencing um, any fatigue or feeling run down, difficulty concentrating. Sometimes we see increased feelings of sadness, frustration, particularly irritability. Um, feeling resentful at your care par- at, at your partner with dementia is quite common as well, and not something to feel guilty about, but something to kind of alert you to. Hey, maybe I'm going through some stress. Let me see somebody about that. Mm-hmm. The burden does continue to grow. I found some other findings in the Association 2018 Alzheimer's Disease Facts and Figures report. An estimated 5.7 million Americans have Alzheimer's dementia, including 140,000 in Arizona. Uh, By 2025, the number of people aged 65 and older with Alzheimer's dementia is estimated to reach 7.1 million. In Arizona, the number of individuals with Alzheimer's is predicted to be 200,000. The burden on Alzheimer's caregivers just continues to grow. In 2017, more than 16 million Americans provided about 18.4 billion hours of unpaid care in the form of physical, emotional and financial support. A contribution valued at something like $232.1 billion. And in Arizona, 330,000 caregivers provided 376 million hours of unpaid care, valued at $4.7 billion. Just, I mean, it's it's horrendous. Hey, Mark, I will tell you that... uh this is something that the Alzheimer's Association puts out annually, and so there is a 2019 report, and that number is now up to 170,000 Arizona residents that suffer from the disease. But one of the other facts that is also something that we need to realize at BAI is Arizona is the number one state for the most rapid growth of Alzheimer's patients. So we're leading the country in the growth rate of Alzheimer's disease in Arizona. Now, why? Uh, don't know fully. Too I mean, much sun? Too much sun? <laughs> I, I doubt that's the issue. All right. Okay? Okay, well. although, although I will advise you that that could cause some bad skin problems. Right. Um, no, no. It, it may be that you know there, there's an age issue there with a lot of people uh, coming oh, to retirement, Arizona. retirement, of course, right. coming and to so Arizona you, to retire. You know, this is an, an older age disease. Right. But then there may be some specific genetic factors that we may need to look at because it is interesting that, that Arizona does lead the nation. But, you know, it's good job security for me coming here. Well, yeah, you know, but it's nice to have you. You know your stuff, and you're going to do wonders at Banner. And, uh, well, thank God Banner Health's doing what it's doing. Right, Chad, right now. Absolutely. I mean, you know, no, no one likes to project and talk about, you know, negative projections. But the reality is is that it's there. And if it's not answered now or addressed now, uh, God knows where we'd be. You know, the burden and the burden of uh, the bills on society and so on. Look, it's been fascinating. Is there, in finishing off, is there anything you'd like to, um, 
I'm not going. Normally, I ask a question back in your careers because I usually deal with a lot of CEOs and you know middle management people about if they had a decision back in their careers, what they would have done, where they'd end up now, and so on. When you look at your careers for giving and what you do for life, is there anything else you think? I'll start with you, Michelle, that you might have done in life as against this particular career. Why? Why? Why are you looking at me first? <laughs> <laughs> because we're going clockwise. That's why. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, ever since I was 17, I always knew I wanted to be a clinical social worker and 17 and here we go. Yeah. I graduated, um, with my undergrad at 22 and my master's at 24 and I was licensed by 27 and I've been doing it ever since. There so I go. haven't actually pictured anything else. God, she only looks 21 too. You never know. <laughs> you got a lot to give. Well, good on you. And I'm glad you made that decision. And, uh, I guess your parents are very proud of you. I hope so. Yeah, and you're gonna looking forward to the big project, eh? <laughs> yeah, ex- and exactly. And what's happening here? Very Can exciting. anybody call you? Did you encourage that personally? If they have questions, do you, you know, yep. or, or is it sort of a you know persona non grata being able to talk to you? I mean, I do have a number here for you, but I wasn't sure uh, in reference <laughs> to calling you directly, just in case somebody's listening and they're they're a bit down, they're not sure about their mum or their dad, and they're just the two of them, you know, a six nine four. Seven zero two one. Is that a contact number for you? Yep, that's our that's our front desk number. That's your front desk mm-hmm. number. But people are welcome to ask for you. Sure. Yeah. If they have questions and are just okay. kind of wondering next steps, what should we do? Where should we go? Absolutely. Lovely, and that's terrific. And her name again is Michelle Fadul. Yes. Thank you. Yep. You Alrighty, got it. that's terrific. <laughs> what about you, young Chad? Oh my goodness. Well, <clears throat> I was reflecting. I had a moment to think about the question, thankfully. That's the beauty. Um, so interestingly enough, when I started in college, I was uh, a marketing major and I thought I was going to go off and do marketing and sales. And after about a year of marketing courses, I just kind of reflected and said, I don't know that I want to sell widgets. You know, right. I, I knew from my earlier experience in childhood that I was passionate about a mission and decided, you know, I'm this marketing thing, it might not be for me. So I switched over to communications and I knew right from there that I was just going to go into philanthropy. Lovely. Yeah. There you go. It's it's a calling. (laughs) Uh, Chad Rolfs Mm -hmm. is the chief development officer of the Banner Health Foundation and this wonderful new project. Uh, when is completion? When We are uh, estimated for the new facility to open in April of 2020. So, um, Okay, not that far. We're hopeful we're going to get that remaining $1.3 million. 1.3 so mil. one last plug if anybody wants one to donate. <laughs> whether, whether they're in Ireland or Melbourne, Australia, or just down the road, what's the best way to open this checkbook just, and get it to just you? Just BannerHealth.com on the website or uh, certainly give Give me a call. I'd love to talk with you at 520-694-3967. Fantastic. Chad Rolls, what a great job. Keep it up, buddy. All right. And uh, here at Tucson Business Radio X, if there's anything we can ever do for you, you just yell out. Thank you. All right, you've got it. Now, doctor, you're not getting away with it. <laughs> okay. All righty. You look young enough to have decided. Did, oh, don't tell me you always wanted to be a doctor. Uh, probably not, but I, I, I did decide that in my undergraduate studies. Okay. That's so. good. Not a fireman, not a policeman. I mean, I had I had colleagues that knew they wanted to be surgeons when they were like five. That wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so you knew pretty well very early in your career. And that's a calling, isn't it? It is a calling. And, you know, as I, as I meet different people, one of the always things I think about is 
do they have a passion for what they do? Because to me, that makes a difference of work not being so onerous, not being so troubling to you. If you have a passion for what you do, work is pleasurable at times, and the reward you get is just tremendous. And, and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about people that, that have the lowest paid jobs. Um, sometimes when I meet people that are passionate about doing mm-hmm. what they do, mm-hmm. That's terrific. And, and one of the things I always believe in is recognizing that. That's I right. mean, sometimes we don't recognize people that have these menial jobs or do things, and, and they deserve recognition because they have they do. Yeah. an important part of what they do. But that passion is important, and I've, I've had that passion. And yeah, I can see that, and it's it nice up. to hear it, too. So you're going to do wonders, and uh, you'll hear a lot of him and look out, and if he's going to be in your neighborhood giving a talk and a chat, come and meet him. He's a very friendly, lovable guy, Dr. Alan mm-hmm. Anderson. All right? Remember that name? And uh, one of the big brand new sparkling little diamonds has just come to Tucson for the big banner health deal and you're going to hear a lot more about him. It's been a great show. I thank you guys profusely uh, for being here today and again Michelle Fadul, uh, Chad Rolfs and uh, Dr. Alan Anderson for a special today with Banner Health and I hope you enjoyed it. This is Mark Bishop signing off for Tucson Means Business. <laughs>